Hey, are you ready to grow your business? You have checked out the number one resource for business leaders, entrepreneurs, startup founders, and managers. And we're going to teach you how to grow and scale your business with real actionable steps. There's no fluff in this podcast. It's just good advice. Check out this episode. If you're a first-time listener, make sure you subscribe to the podcast. And if you enjoy this episode, leave us a five-star review. Today's episode is with Stacey Brown Randall, who's the author of Generating Business Referrals Without Asking. And that's what we're going to be talking about today, how to drive more revenue for your business without being manipulative, inauthentic, controlling, or weird. Stay tuned. Here comes your good advice. Hey, welcome back to another episode of the Good Advice Podcast. I got a stellar guest for you today. If you've been thinking about how the heck do I grow my sales pipeline in a way that just makes sense? Have you ever actually wondered, how do I get referrals without asking for them? It's not some high-tech voodoo. It's not something that a guru is going to share with you online. It's real, actionable advice. And Stacey Brown Randall is with us today to share about it. She's the award-winning author of generating business referrals without asking. Man, I love that title. She's also a fellow podcaster. And you know what I like to say, hey, stop listening to this episode. You need to go check out this other podcast. She's the host of the Roadmap to Grow Your Business podcast. We're going to be talking about how to grow your business today. Stacy. so glad to have you here today. Oh, Blake, I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And I, I mean, I, we just got to start with the book, I think, first of all, because I love this book name because I think everyone out there is like, how the heck do I get referrals? How do I get people talking about my business and wanting to recommend my business? And it's sometimes it's awkward. It's uncomfortable. It's like, what do I actually do here? Um, you've definitely piqued my interest. I want to know the secret. How do I get referrals without asking? Well, you know, it's really funny when people first like learn, like, wait, you teach referrals without asking, like that goes against everything I've ever been taught or ever been told about how to get referrals. They still think at the end of when I'm teaching them, I'm going to then teach them how to ask. I mean, it's hilarious how many people I've had conversations with and I'm like, no, it's, it's way simpler than that. You don't have to focus on the asking of people. It's focusing on the relationship, right, of how you like develop relationships with targeted folks. And in this case, your referral sources. And then from there, making sure that you're nurturing that relationship and using the right language, which we call referral seeds. And that actually allows them, if you can direct how someone feels about you, which that's the feel good, right? They, they like you, they appreciate that you thank them for the referrals that they've sent you, that you are doing this in a place of gratitude. If you can impact how someone feels about you, you can then direct how they think about you. And that's what the language that you use. And so when I teach people that they're like, okay, and then I can ask. And I'm like, no, you actually can never ask. You just need to eliminate asking from your vocabulary forever because what people don't rec- what people don't recognize about asking is how it actually shortchanges and limits the longevity of the referrals you can actually receive from people. So, I mean, most people, when they first hear it, they're like, this is awesome. I always like to tell folks, yes, there's a p- process you got to understand and work to do. It's not like there isn't any work to do on the back end as well, though. Well, let's talk about that work a little bit. And I think sometimes when we talk about the referral game, I don't know if, uh, so I've been part of BNI 
before, for example, and uh, which literally runs off of referrals. And I have sat down with people, and this is no disrespect to BNI. I actually enjoyed my time with BNI, but I've sat down with people in BNI where literally it's my first conversation with this person, and the first words out of their mouth is, "Do you have any referrals for me?" And I think to myself, "I don't even, I don't even know you." But it seems like that's how we operate a lot of time. What do you think? Yeah, you know, so I like to, when I think about how we talk about in the marketplace for referrals, I call it like the collective referral mindset. Like there's a mindset that we have about how we think about referrals, how we think we're supposed to go about getting them, how we think about like building our business from them. And we have some thought processes that have dominated the collective referral mindset for and I would even say decades, I would say generations. And it's that mindset, right? It's that mindset that I have to lead with it, mm. that I have to always be asking for it, that I have to make sure that you remember that I want your referrals, that I have to make sure you understand that I'm never too busy for your referrals. And that, you know, it's it's coming at it from that domination side of, hey, don't forget that I want your referrals, and what's fascinating to me is that that's actually, if you look at the human dynamic and psychology about why a referral happens in the first place, it's got nothing to do with you. Hmm. And that's what's so fascinating to me is how the dominated, like just what dominates that collective referral mindset is this whole idea that it's about me. So I've got to ask you, I've got to remind you, I've got to start with it. I've got to have 14 different scripts to make me comfortable with how I'm going to ask you because I'm supposed to make this about me. And I'm always like, we're looking at it completely wrong. Because nobody refers someone unless they trust them. So why in the world? Because let's think about what a referral is, right? I mean, a referral is me putting my reputation on the line, referring somebody else to you that is going to spend time, energy, and money with you when they hire you. So if I'm going to put my reputation on the line for someone to spend money with you, I need to make sure that I trust you and that I understand what you do and I understand how you can help somebody. And that may mean that I trust you and I don't totally understand what you do. So I may refer you and say, hey, do you do this? I think this would be a good referral, right? I mean, if we think about how referrals actually happen in real life, when they're actually happening for real they're not happening the way anybody else is being taught in other type scenarios. And I think that dominant voice or that dominant idea of that collective referral mindset of saying, it's about you. So you got to go ask, you got to go put the pressure on people. You got to make sure you stay in front of them. It's creating a set of tactics and methodologies where the trigger to make a referral happen is completely dependent on me and me showing up and me spending time with you and me starting a conversation or ending a conversation with the ask or the offer to pay you commission or a kickback, right? And so if we look at referrals that way, it makes a lot of sense where most business owners are like, never mind. I'll just let the referrals randomly happen. They'll sporadically show up and I'll be so thankful and grateful. And I, I won't know that there's actually a way to control them. And I won't know that there's a system, a different way of looking at it because what we've been beaten over our heads with for so very long is that I've got to be doing the triggering or these referrals won't happen. And actually what I discovered is if you just stop thinking about it that way, look at it a little bit differently, focus on the referral source and your relationship with them. That is actually where the true referrals actually lie. And that is actually where you can build sustainability around them as well. Stacey, it feels like that as entrepreneurs or business owners, I don't know if we have the patience to build those relationships. Because I've even seen people where 
you know, they're in having conversations, they're like, yeah, I got coffee with this person. Now do I ask him for the referral? Or like, now do I, or not even for a referral, like a, a salesperson, like, okay, I got coffee with them. Now do I pitch them? Like, now do I get the sale? And, and, you know, obviously everyone's in a different position to buy. Obviously things can be more, um, serendipitous where if someone's like, they meet you, they, you hit it off right off the bat. And they're like, oh my gosh, I have to tell you about this person who would be great with you. But it feels like a lot of times the building the relationships, it takes a lot more time. What's your experience in talking with business owners who are really struggling with that patience piece, especially as maybe they're looking at their cash flow, they're looking at their PL and they're thinking about, I got to make the sale, I got to bring some money in. How do you balance those things? Yeah. So, you know, I always tell folks is your sales strategy is actually a three-legged stool. It's not a two-legged stool. It's not a one-legged stool. And so it's important to have prospecting activities that you do that maybe have that short-term mentality and that ability to get you closer to the prospect. Particularly if cash flow is an issue, you need to make sure that you have activities that you can do that you know have metrics behind them that work that will bring prospects to you that you have a chance to close into clients. And those prospecting activities, they're typically higher volume type activities, right? With that short-term mentality, get me as quick to the to the client as you can. So it may be a lot of networking. It may be a lot of cold calling or cold emailing. Um, there's just diff- the 7 million cups of coffee, right? I mean, there are a lot of things out there that you can do from a prospecting perspective. There's also marketing, right? And you should have a, a marketing leg to your three-legged stool as well. And that marketing may be a little bit longer term, but you can turn on Facebook ads or Pinterest ads, right? Or, you know, Instagram ads. You can do the online thing. You can do SEO. You can do earned media, right? You can do social media posts. I mean, there's a lot of things that you can do in terms of marketing and in addition to your website and some brand awareness that'll help you get in front of the prospects as well. And then, of course, there's your referral piece. And it's a different ballgame. It's a completely Hmm. different animal. And so I always tell folks, the number one thing you've got to agree to before you decide to add this third leg to your sales strategy, this referral leg, this referral plan to your prospecting and marketing is you you better be ready to play the long-term game. Hmm. So yes, do I want you to learn what I teach and have success, right? And, you know, be like, um, I've got an architect out in San Francisco and she's like, yeah, I got, I think it was something like 22 referrals in three months. Do I want that for everybody? Oh my gosh, totally. But what I'm more interested in is, you know, like an attorney in my program who's in the seventh year, who's getting 40 plus referrals every year, and they only need about 12 to 15. And so they're picking and choosing the type of work they want to do. Did they start with 40 referrals? No, they went from six a year to 12 and then to 27 and then to 33 and then got over 40 and 2020 got 47. So it's a long-term game. Whereas I want you to have short-term success. I need you to think about this from a long-term perspective. To your point though, if people are stressing about cash flow, I always tell them, I was like, whereas I would love for you to start running your referral plan and get that going so that six months from now we can have success or 12 months from now we can see results. If cash flow is an issue, referrals are not your saving grace. This is not the Hail mm-hmm. Mary pass that you throw when your business is running out of money. That is where you've got to double down on some of those prospecting and marketing strategies that you have found have has worked. You know, the other thing I find with folks is, is that that's also, it's like a big issue with people starting businesses without a runway. Like you've got to start a business with some type of financial runway so you have space and time to evaluate what's actually going to work and then figuring out what's working and then figuring out, is there something better while that's working and giving me cash flow? Is there a better way? And I want everyone's 
the way they grow their business. I want referrals to be the biggest piece of your pie, but I am under no illusion it'll be the only piece of your pie. I want it to be the (laughs) biggest, right? But I think that's the thing that people kind of miss out on is that when I'm working with someone and they're like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm now, you know, following what I teach and they're getting all these referrals and that's all they're worrying about. That wasn't how it was in the beginning, right? It wasn't how it was when they started their business and it wasn't how it was going to be as they move forward. And I think that's the piece that folks miss is that this is, it's a long-term game and yes, you can have short-term success, but if that's what you're after, it's not really worth it because the real value of a referral strategy is how well it provides for you. If you keep doing the right work with the right people, people with the right language as you move forward year after year after year. Well, Stacey, when we talk about, so first of all, I agree with everything you said. I love what you're saying. I mean, it is resonating with me on so many levels. And But at the same time, I know that the new entrepreneur who's listening, at least this is how I felt when I started my business a couple of years ago, was sort of like this discouragement of, Oh, like I'm not going to be a, a mega millionaire in six months. Like, oh, I'm not going to have all these customers and clients. And and you you've used this this brutal word in business, which is years. And I've I've heard so many people use language like that. Of man, it takes time. Building your business takes time. And I also love how you talked about the runway. You know, sort of like having enough cash to last with the business. Because I think a lot of times, as new business owners, it's something like, okay, I have five thousand in cash. I have twenty thousand in cash. I have forty thousand in cash. I'm going to put all of that into like I was talking to someone who wants to start a coffee business. And they're like, we're going to put all of our money into this car or this van that we're going to clean up into like a portable coffee house thing. And I was like, well, before you spend all your money, let's let's maybe think about this a little bit. So you're talking about the longevity of business and it almost feels like, and this is what I want to ask you about, it almost feels like what you see online. Like if I'm a new business owner and I'm trying to learn how to run my business and I'm just scrolling through Facebook, maybe I'm scrolling through Instagram or LinkedIn or what have you. It feels like a lot of people are talking about it doesn't take a long time. Hey, I can actually show you how to get you know ten qualified leads uh, by the end of the week. Hey, I can actually show you how to you know ten times your revenue in the next two or three months. And there's this this sort of weird uh, trend happening of it doesn't take long. You can make it happen. It actually can happen almost overnight. And I, I back that up against things that I hear from from great sources like yourself who are saying, hey, well, you know, actually, there is a bit of a long game to this. Help me find, I mean, who's who's right in this situation? I mean, what's going on here? Because I think as a new as a new entrepreneur, I think it's really discouraging when you get on Facebook and you're like, this person said I would be just just drowning in leads in a week. And I have no customers. Like, what's I think that's very discouraging. What's your take on this whole thing? Yeah, I think is it Russell Brunson that says you're just one funnel away? Like, yes. isn't that that's his that's metric? I mean, yeah. yeah, his um, that's his um slogan, right? You're just one funnel away. Okay, so in some ways, and right, he's right. You may be one funnel away from the millions of clients you're so desperately seeking, but what's not contained in that really funky one funnel away. Okay. It's three words, right? In that three word, like subheader, it's like, Hey, you're just one funnel away. What's not, what's missing is the, well, does your funnel convert? 
Is your product or service good enough? Do you have the social proof? Do you have the case studies? Can mm. other people vouch for you? Um, how does it work? Is it right? If there's so much that goes into making your product or your service something that somebody else would want to buy, that the tactics to get you sales works when all the back end of that piece is actually in place. So I think about my business going from you know, starting my my productivity and business coaching practice and doing like what most business owners do. It was like the 7 million cups of coffee. It's like, how many people can I meet with coffee who know what I do that I need to tell them I'm doing something different? And did that drum up a handful of new clients? Yes. I got my first three clients right away with one-on-one coaching, right? And I was able to then start generating referrals from them and more clients. And it, it all really came from my network, but it was a ton of effort to get that going. I was also certified of what I was doing and a known entity to these people of being able to produce results. So there was a little bit of what I had going for me that made that success possible. What I discovered in that first year of being a productivity and business coach was that I actually got 112 referrals that year that I didn't ask for, which is how I created my entire system, reverse engineering what I did to figure out, well, how did I do it? And now teaching it to others. The funny thing is, is that I think about, and that was eight years ago now. And I think about when I talk about my business today versus the very first person I talked to about, yes, my referral strategy will work versus now we're in 10 different countries all over the world, right? We have people joining the program all the time. Like, you know why that is? It's because of the last eight years. Mm, It is not because I had some flashy headline (laughs) or some flashy slogan or some really pretty pictures that went up that people were like, well, she's just like me. I can do it. If she can do it, let me go learn her methodology. It's because when you look at my program, it's been refined mm. over time based on feedback of my business owners who've gone through it. It's it's based on the case studies and the testimonials that are all over, you know, my website and all over like the sales page, so to speak, because I've been doing this for a while. And so it's so many times where people think it's the sales tactic that'll ultimately get you what you need. There's so much more to a business to be able to like be sustainable that matters to your ability to actually have that success you want. And, you know, there's there's that unspoken rule, right? Every overnight success was at least 10 or 15 years in the making. And we never pay attention to that. And we seem to glaze over that part of their story. I mean, how long did Russell Brunson work on ClickFunnels before ClickFunnels was a thing? You know what I mean? Like, there's just so much that we just, we want it to be easy. We are, we're like, we're all in search of the Staples easy button. Like, how would I get like 16 on my desk and I can just hit them and things will be easy. And I have found now starting a business, having it fail, having to go back to corporate America, starting a second business. And now it is today what it is. I know there is no easy button. I mean, that would be great if there were, but I do know that building a business is definitely a lesson in humility. And it's definitely a lesson in learning the things you didn't think you could ever do. And then having that resilience to stick with it. And then recognizing sometimes like with me, my first business, it failed. I had to wave the white flag after four years and be like, "Hmm, this isn't working. I got to figure something out. And it's being open to that. So I I agree. I come from a family of entrepreneurs, so I had no expectations it was going to be easy. But I come from a family of the crazy kind of entrepreneurs because they're all in the hospitality industry. So restaurants and that kind of stuff. And those people are crazy. And I can say that because I'm the grandmother, mother, daughter, wait, grandmother, sorry. I am the granddaughter, the daughter, the wife, the sister, and the niece of restaurant owners. So like, I have a right to call them crazy because they are, but I know those things take time Mm -hmm. and it takes more energy than we're typically planning for. And let's be honest, everything you see in sales 
out there telling you, you know, you can go from you can go from six figures to eight figures with these 10 leads a day. Their pattern interrupts trying to get your attention. There's a strategy behind them. Obviously, we're all still falling for it because it's working. But that doesn't necessarily mean what it looks like behind the scenes to build a business. You know, I think it's a it's a hard truth that the growth of the business does take time and it does take incredible amounts of effort and patience. Talk to me a little bit about the difference between your first business and second business. You talked about how you had to go back to corporate America. And I love how you use the word humility because I think that being a an entrepreneur, it is one of the most ego-breaking <laughs> things you can do in your life. But so you went you went back to corporate America, which I, I do fully believe that um, I think entrepreneurs can be successful in any industry, but I think we are wired differently to not necessarily ping well in the corporate in the corporate world. You go back to corporate America. I'm assuming you had this itch to start the business again or start another business. What was different the second time around compared to the first time around that you feel like puts you in the right place or on the right footing or what have you uh, to really grow this thing? As you mentioned, across 10 different countries, incredibly successful, uh, an amazing podcast with over 140 episodes. Um, Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. You know, what's interesting is that when my first business failed, it took me way too long to make the white flag, take down the shingle, wave the white flag of surrender and say, okay, fine, I failed. Like uh, that thing died. I mean, it took so long to die. It was dying (laughs) a slow death. Because like most people, whereas going through a business failure is financially hard and it is physically hard and it is emotionally hard and it is mentally hard. I mean, it's like hard in all the ways, right? In all the ways it's hard. The hardest thing to pick yourself up from is actually the blow to your ego. And I think for me, like admitting that at failure, I was like, I I can't, I can't admit the failure. And then finally it was like, you've got a mortgage to pay. Right. And I have an extremely, extremely supportive husband. And he never said, you got to wave the white flag of surrender. Right. But I saw the writing on the wall. I was like, "Mm, this isn't really working. And so for me, it was the business failed and it was failing for so long. There was like really nothing left of it when I was finally done. And only a handful of people knew that that was what I was going through. And somebody said, hey, I know somebody who's hiring. So I literally went in and started interviewing. And that was the first job that I took going back to corporate America. And I remember sitting in that position or in that job. And I remember thinking, oh my gosh, how do I get out of here? Like, how do I get back out of here? And then how do I do it better? So I don't end up back here. And you know, when you go into office buildings and as you walk past people's cubicles or their office spaces, they have their name plates outside their door. So when I left corporate America, I was there about almost 18 months in between business number one failing and starting business number two. I was there almost 18 months. And when I left, I asked, I was like, hey, can I take my name plate with me? And I remember the office manager was like, no one has ever asked if they could take the nameplate from outside their door, you know, and mine said, Stacy Brown Randall, chief talent officer. And I was like, can I please take it? And she's like, yeah, I guess. And for the longest time until I moved into this office space that I'm in now, it sat above the door. When I would come in and out of my office, first at the house and then at office space I leased, it sat above the doorframe. And it was like this constant reminder of, you want to come back here? No, you do not. Do what you got to do, right? Make the work happen. And I think for me, a big part of being successful the second time around was a different level of determination. I think also for me, it was finding something that I was really good at. Like I liked my HR. My first business was an HR consulting firm and I did generational diversity and employee engagement. 
but I don't actually like working in companies. Like as an entrepreneur, I know this. I don't play well in the sandbox. It's why I don't do well in corporate America. And so to have to go in and talk about employee engagement and generational diversity. I mean, I got so tired of talking about the millennials. I'm Gen X. I'm like, if I have to talk about those millennials one more time on stage to a group of, you know, baby boomers, I'm going to shoot myself. Like I literally got to the point where what I was doing, I wasn't loving anymore, coupled with some other things that my business was dealing with that I really realized if I'm going to do something, I can do something I'm good at. I didn't know what that was, which is why I was back in corporate. America, but I got certified. Somebody else knew it for me. And they're like, you would be a great productivity coach. So I got certified in the off hours and I would do it on the weekends. And I got certified as a productivity coach. And I was like, wow, I am actually really good at this. And the productivity coaching would grow to become business coaching because once you've seen a business failure, you can see it in others. I'm like, oh, no, <laughs> this is your red flag. We are heading in the wrong direction. Sure. And I, I think for me, it was that ability to find something that I was really, really good at. And then the whole I cannot fail again. I can't, my ego cannot take it. So what is it going to look like to be successful? And uh, that's really when I was like, let's look at things differently. Let's let's start it how I know it, hustle, network with everybody you know, get a couple of paying clients, get referrals. Oh, wait, referrals. Let's figure this out. Never got them in the first business. Let's figure out what it looks like for the second business. And then was always had my eye on the scalability factor. And when I figured out the referrals piece and then I started teaching it to others, I was like, this is what I can scale because as a coach, you trade dollars for hours. And so it's really, really hard to scale past a certain income level in hours you can work and people you can help. And then having something you can scale that can go online, that kind of changed the trajectory. I would not have had any of that knowledge had I not have lived through watching my business fail and then doing the research I did to figure out how to be successful if I was going to give myself a second opportunity. And I think it's just all those pieces that are, there's never one, in my personal opinion, there's never one thing that set me apart business number two from business number one, right? There's not one thing. There's a multitude of things. And I truly believe, and I know not everybody believes this, but I truly believe that that God has placed me through all these different experiences all throughout my life to put me right here where I'm like, oh, I know exactly why that experience was necessary because I'm using it in this way, or I'm using that in that way. And that doesn't mean there's not some things I'm like, God, I still don't know why I'm going through this. Like, this is not helpful. But like, there are those moments where I'm like, I get where I am because of everything that I've been through. And then just using that to my advantage to be able to help more people is ultimately, I think, what's kept it going. What's kept you? What's kept you encouraged? I think I think that's that's a real challenge for the fellow entrepreneur. Is you know maybe Monday you get up and you're like, man, let's do this, and then Tuesday goes by, then Wednesday, and kind of by Thursday or Friday you're like, oh man, this is this is really hard. Or maybe you lose a customer, or you thought you were going to close a sale and it didn't happen, or you know the business. You know we go through a global pandemic. You know just oh. casually, just different things. Uh, what's the secret to staying encouraged as an entrepreneur and believing in what you have to offer? You know, I think it's really important. I mean, and for me, I think about this, it, it, it doesn't take much to set me into like the tailspin of, oh my gosh, nobody wants what I do and I'm not helping anybody. I mean, I'm like any, I'm like any human, right? It doesn't really matter how much success you have, right? There are still those moments where, you know, you get the, the three-star review on your Amazon rating for your book, right? <laughs> like, and it's, and it's, my husband's really funny about this because he was like, oh, so you read the three-star review. Did you read the other 120 that were five stars and four stars? I'm like, no, I'm so focused on the three star, right? Or the two star or whatever it is. I think it's your ability of what you allow to feed 
into your soul mm, and into yeah. your mind. And the ability to say, I'm spiraling here because I'm reading the three-star review, or I have somebody who's saying, right, you know, I don't think this will work for me. I'm like, you haven't even given it a chance, right? Like it's that ability to understand that those people are having their moments and they don't really have anything to do with me, but I do have to constantly remind myself. And I'm going to be honest, and this may not be the best advice. It may not be psychologically sound advice. I don't actually know. I'm just going to say what works for me. I immediately go back to and reading the testimonials that of the success my students have had. Uh, they're mm-hmm. business owners, but I call them students. So of reading the success the business owners have had, of reading the emails that they've sent me, they're like, oh my gosh, for the first time ever, I have a direction and a plan and I know what I'm doing, right? It, I go back to the place where that well can be filled with the people who are saying, this is fantastic for me. And that will always be louder than the one or two that are dissenting. And the other thing that I do is I actually really try to structure my weeks to plan for exactly what you said, because it's going to happen, right? So I have Mondays, I call it plow day because I plow through work. I try to do no presentations, no podcast interviews, no client meetings, like nothing. And it's just get work done. And there's something about, I've learned over years, there's something about that coupled with, I don't work Fridays unless I have to, that allow me to really view my week in a way that I am excited for Mondays because I'm going to, I'm a list checker. So I'm going to talk, check a lot of things off my list. And then Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday is being very available to the other people who need me. And then Fridays being like, you know what? I can totally binge on season four of Outlander if I want to today, (laughs) or I can get ahead for next week, or I can catch up on the things I didn't get done. But that we all become entrepreneurs for freedom and flexibility. What does your freedom and flexibility look like to you? I think that's important for us because the work's still there. It's not freedom and flexibility from the work. It's freedom and flexibility to how you're going to work. And so I figured that out. And I have three kids and I have two boys in seventh grade. They're not um, biological twins. We have a biological son and our nephew who we have custody of, but they're both in seventh grade. Between the two of them are on five baseball teams because we're a glutton (laughs) for punishment. And then my daughter does guitar and gymnastics (laughs) and she's 10. And so for me, it's like, I want to build my life around being a present mother. And I think that's the piece that people miss as well is that it is structuring this to make it work for me and not trying to live up to anybody else's standards, but figuring out what works for me has been really important. Mm-hmm. I love I love everything you just said. And I, I think there is power in the flexibility of entrepreneurship and um, making your week schedule as you want it. And also I, I loved your, your, your comment on really who you're listening to and who are you choosing to listen to? Because I think we all do have those five-star reviews or those emails or someone says, you know, you changed my life or I really loved your product or what have you. And then that one review comes in that just cannot get out of your mind. Or speaking of reviews in general, I just love people who are like, this book changed my life Four stars. You know, you're like, where's the fifth? Yeah, what would need to have happened to have given you the fifth star? But anyway, Stacy, we are unfortunately out of time today. For the listeners who are listening, they're just like, oh my gosh, this is just incredible. I want to know more. I want to learn more from you, Stacy. I want to maybe even work with you. What can the listeners do to follow up with you? Yeah. So best place to start my home base is my website, stacybrownrandall.com. Stacy is spelled with an E. But you know, start off by listening to my podcast. After they listen to an episode of yours, they can hop over and listen to an episode of mine or check out my book and it'll lead you in the direction you need to go if you want to learn more and work with me. And those are great places to start to understand what I believe because that's a big part of actually what I'm going to teach you. I love it. Stacy, thanks for coming on the podcast today. Thanks for having me.
Hey, for our listeners, I'm going to put the link to her website uh, down in the episode description below. I'm also going to link her podcast. And one of the things I love about this podcast is Stacy's updating this podcast on a weekly basis. She's actually about to hit episode 150. So there is all sorts of incredible content on this podcast. You got to check it out and put a link to the Apple podcast uh, page down in the episode description below. And hey, if you've been listening to this podcast and you haven't subscribed yet, what the heck are you waiting on? Click subscribe so you can keep getting good advice wherever you are. And don't forget, we are on Patreon. You can go to patreon.com slash good advice if you want to support the podcast, even get your business sponsored on the podcast. Again, that's patreon.com slash good advice. Hey, thanks for checking us out. We appreciate it. Appreciate it, and we'll catch you later. See ya.